Today, we are finishing the letter to the Galatians, so we're going to read the last chapter of Galatians, chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Pay close attention to yourselves so that you are not tempted to. Carry one another's burdens, for in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work. Then he can take pride in himself and not compare himself with someone else. For each one will carry his own load. Now the one who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with the one who teaches it. Do not be deceived. God will not be made a fool. For a person will reap what he sows. Because the person who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not grow weary in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of faith. See what big letters I make as I write to you with my own hand? Those who want to make a good showing in external matters are trying to force you to be circumcised. They do so only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not obey the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about your flesh. But may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that matters is a new creation. And all who will behave in accordance with this rule, peace and mercy be on them and on the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment, we uh, will be silent together. Would you open our ears? Would you speak to us about your word? Lord, as we finish Galatians, would you have your way? Would you pass to each one of us the word that we need to hear? Would you open our ears so that we can hear it? Would you open our eyes so that we can see what you're showing us? Open our hearts to believe what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this uh, chapter that we just read is can feel a bit scattered when you hear it all together. You know, it goes from restoring someone who's caught in sin to a verse that a lot of uh, people in my profession uh, point to as a reason to pay your pastors. He goes uh, to back to the topic of circumcision, uh, this whole thing about reaping to the spirit or, reap, or you know, sowing to the spirit and, and sowing to the flesh and what that's all about. So, so what is going on here? 
Well, we've just heard, like I said, the conclusion of Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And his, his overall point in writing this letter was he was trying to discredit a group of teachers who were trying to discredit him. All right, so there were these teachers who had been following Paul from town to town, uh, effectively saying, look, Paul's message about Jesus isn't quite right. You know, they, they, he is communicating this, this message of, of just pure grace about Jesus that doesn't require anything of anyone. But what Jesus is doing is he's making a way for all the nations of the world to become Jews, to become God's chosen people. And, and God's really serious about the process by which someone becomes one of his chosen people. And frankly, these teachers have good reason to think that. Um, you, if you go back into the Old Testament, go back into, into Genesis before the Ten Commandments, before the law is given. God chooses Abraham, says, you and your descendants are the chosen people. And, and he tells Abraham, all the men in your clan, everyone in your family, all the men traveling with you, they all have to be circumcised. In fact, later on, there's one point where Abraham hasn't circumcised his son Ishmael, and an angel is going to come and kill them because they're not circumcised. God takes it really seriously. Later in the, in the book of Exodus, when God has, is rescuing his people from Egypt, they're literally walking out of Egypt. And as they're walking out, uh, God is saying to Moses, you're going to have a, a feast every year to remember this day. And that feast is going to be called the Passover. And People are welcome to participate in the Passover as long as the men among them are circumcised. As a matter of fact, if foreigners want to participate in the Passover with you, they have to be, the men among them have to be circumcised to participate in it. So that's how um, God literally, it's the, the churchy term is he fences the table around the Passover meal. And the way to get over the fence or the key to get through the gate is circumcision. So Paul is writing this letter to say, no, let me tell you my point again. And he's going back into the story about grace, and it's all this stuff back and forth about circumcision. In six chapters, he uses the term circumcision so many times, it's so uncomfortable. And here's the deal, Littleton Christian Church. Why are we talking about this right now? Like, the ship has kind of sailed on circumcision, right? I've, I've been a pastor for 18 years in this church. You want to know how many times new parents who are having a baby boy have called me to ask whether or not they should circumcise their child, whether or not their decision is going to impact, whether they're allowed to be members in the church or participate in communion? Guess how many? Zero. Z zero. But like, Culturally, we've moved way on from this. Paul won. He won the argument. And, and Christians all over the world, especially, well, gosh, I think all Christians all over the world, they're, they're not really bothering with this question of this physical thing that we do to boys anymore. So why are we still talking about Galatians? Well, okay, it could be that Christians find a whole bunch of other ways to exclude one another from fellowship, right? It could be that, that 
based on you know a certain set of beliefs or or based on certain behavior or based on who you vote for or based on your personality type or or your racial or economic background it could be that because of those reasons we separate and divide and that certainly is true and that's true for a bunch of reasons that we do that i mean our our country is sort of uh, built into pockets, you know, economically and racially, and, and those things make us divide. But again, I think about Littleton Christian Church, and I think this church, you know, we, we, we may do the normal sort of human social thing where you become closer friends with these people, and these people make you uncomfortable, and, and the people who are outside that circle call it a clique and don't like it. And yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of normal in a group of people. Littleton Christian Church, you guys want to be inclusive. Like, that's something that's true about you. That's something I really love about you. You want to be the kind of church that welcomes people of, of all backgrounds and all races and, and all personality types and, and regardless of, of ability or disability or any of that stuff. You want to be the kind of church where all are welcome at the table. I mean, there's there's times where we may go too far in the other direction, where we may tell somebody who hasn't surrendered their life fully to Jesus that they can be a part of things when maybe they shouldn't. That's a sermon for another time, though. Um, probably an interesting one, an important one, but let me stick to the point here. So, again, why have we been studying Galatians if if you know, Pastor Mike thinks that you already get the point and that you got it before we started studying Galatians. Well, the end of the letter, particularly the second half of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6, Paul starts digging beneath the surface of the question of who's in and who's out to look at motivations for those things, the direction of our heart. All right, and so, so when he's getting into that, I think there's something for us to hear. And as we look at chapter 6, he's sort of applying the direction of our heart to a few different circumstances. So we'll get into it. But he he's, talks really about two big directions of the heart. One, he calls flesh flesh. He uses the term flesh throughout the letter, especially in chapters 5 and 6. The term flesh comes up a bunch. And when you're in this state of being, here's some of the things that happen, the works of the flesh. You know, and it's, this is a, this is a bummer list. <laughs> Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry. I mean, look at this. Strife, dissensions, murder. And similar things, he says. Like, we don't want to do those things. That's a bad list, right? Right? Thank you. Okay, good. It doesn't, it doesn't sound good. In our chapter, he says, you know, we, if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption from the flesh. I mean, look at all the ways he talks about the flesh throughout chapters 5 and 6 in the next slide. He says, you know, you can indulge the flesh, you can do the works of the flesh, you can sow to the flesh, and I didn't include, you can reap corruption 
from the flesh. He's got this idea about flesh. So that's one orientation of the heart, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. The other orientation of the heart is called spirit. Spirit. And it's literally glorious. I mean, when our hearts are oriented in this direction, there's this glorious nine-flavored fruit that we get to reap in our lives. It tastes like these things. You've seen this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Mmm. Like, that sounds good, right? Oh, good. Okay, good. That sounds good. All right. He's got all sorts of ways of talking about how we, how we uh, operate in this orientation uh, of our hearts. Live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, behave in accordance with the Spirit, sow to the Spirit. So we've got these two big categories that he's getting at at the end of the letter. He's gone from talking about these teachers who are excluding people for circumcision into what's going on underneath is flesh and spirit. So why call one flesh and the other spirit? Because it kind of sounds like your body, your physical stuff, and your non-physical stuff. Is that what he's talking about? Does Paul think that our physical bodies are bad? That if you do things to take care of your body, you're going to end up with that really bad list. And if you do things to sort of deny your body, you'll end up with the good list. Well, let me say my conclusion is a very clear no. That's not what Paul is saying. Um, And I I can remember times in my life where I hoped that that was what he was saying. I mean, being a teenager is terrible. I, I had a rough teenage life, and I talk about it all the time, I know, but... Gosh, being a pubescent, zip-faced, brace-faced, hormonal, lanky teenager trying to live for Jesus. What? (laughs) Nerdy. Oh, come on. Don't add to my list. It's already bad enough. You know, a lot of of people go, maybe you still experience this, but there's times where where we kind of hate the things that we feel like our body wants to do. You feel... You know, especially in those years, you feel awkward. Your your physical urges feel completely out of control or, or impossible to achieve or whatever. I needed someone to tell me that my body was good, that God created me and called me good. I mean, I needed to hear that Jesus took on a body to redeem my body, that he took on flesh. It's not bad. And he did that for my body and for yours. In fact, throughout this letter, Paul is saying that Jesus' fleshly suffering was meant to redeem our bodies, no matter our race or what religious ceremony we've been through. So what does he mean by flesh? If that's what he doesn't mean, I think there's some really good clues in chapter 6. Of course, If Paul's opponents, these other teachers, if they're obsessed with circumcision, they are literally focused on, you know, a part of the flesh. So that's maybe his logical connection there. You know, they're they're literally thinking about bodies. But chapter 6 says his opponents are indulging the flesh 
and sowing to the flesh because they think they are something when they are nothing and because they are using the Galatians, the people who live in the cities in Galatia, they're using them for their own selfish ends. In chapter 6, he finally out and says it. Here's the problem with these guys. I mean, he says, this might be on a slide, the, the next verse. He says, they are trying to make a good showing in external matters. They're trying to make a good showing in external matters. They're, they're, they're trying to convince you about circumcision only to avoid being persecuted for the cross. They're trying to do it so that they can boast about your flesh. So what's indulging the flesh? What's sowing to the flesh? What's this orientation of the heart? It's using other people for my own ends. Using other people so that I can feel better about myself. So that I can get accolades. So that I can impress other people and maybe believe that I'm actually impressing God too. Therefore, if someone else isn't cutting it, that's a bad pun, by the way. If someone else isn't cutting it, I react in one of two ways. Either, first, I take it personally. How could you do this to me? And that this is a way of living in the flesh. How could you do this to me? If someone does something and it's impacting their own life, we make it about ourselves. This is a way that you know you're living in the flesh. All right? This is, this is anything from you're, you're with a group of people and someone is acting in a certain way and you are super embarrassed about that. Like, how, how could you do this to me? I mean, this is, this is the, the mom who is sending their, you know, kid out the door to go to school and, and the kid is you know, really messy, and the hair's messy, and and the mom is thinking, what will they think of your mother for sending you out like this? How could you do this to me? I've been guilty of this. Paul, Paul describes this as biting and devouring one another. Gosh, in the church world, as as the pastor of this church, there have been times where, you know, God has led people to other churches, and I take it really personally. I feel betrayed. How could you do this to me? I mean, that, that's a really common thing for people in church leadership. So that's one way we live in the flesh and use other people for our own ends. But there's another way, you know, so, so that way is like, you better get in line so that things are better for me. The other way is when you make mistakes, I take advantage of it. That's the other way we live in the flesh. Every time you sin or fall behind in life, I feel a bit better about myself. We grade ourselves on curves. If someone else does a worse sin than the thing you struggle with, you feel a little bit better about only struggling with that thing. Well, gosh, he had an affair. I only struggle with porn once in a while. 
you know, or, or, or she's, she's, you know, been abusive to that person. It's not such a big deal that I avoid the difficult conversations. No, we do this. We, we grade ourselves on curves. This happens, you know, this happens, I, I notice a lot with finances. Um, for, for those of you who, you know, have saved a meager amount or, or a lot for retirement, and then you hear the, the stats about how many people are going into retirement with nothing, with no ability to take care of their own needs, it feels kind of good. You, when I say it, you may realize that you don't like that it feels good, but you feel a little bit better about, huh, I'm glad that I've, you know, socked a little bit away for a rainy day. Gosh, every time I hear about another pastor who made a mistake in ministry, big or small, I, I can't stop myself from feeling a little bit more righteous in comparison, ranking myself. That is the flesh. When we get really down to it, that is what Paul is saying when he's talking about the flesh. He says, restore the sinner, but be careful so that you don't fall into temptation. The flesh is always lurking. We use other people to puff ourselves up, and it leads to corruption. It leads to the works of the flesh. Why? Because as soon as someone else isn't doing what you want, you either talk down about them, you, you tell everyone about what they're doing, or you get mad at them and abuse them. And, and if that's not working, and if you trying to be better than them isn't working, then you know what you'll do? You'll start doing the other things that make you feel better too, whether it's sexual immorality or addictions or whatever. If my good deeds don't work, I'll, I'll turn to tearing others down. If that doesn't work, I'll discard my moral standards altogether. Okay, so the flesh is totally self-oriented. So what's the spirit? Not to state the obvious, but living by the spirit, being led by the spirit, so into the spirit, all refer to a way of life that is oriented outside myself, that is pointed outside. And that's why it yields the fruit of the Spirit. Look at all of those things about the fruit of the Spirit. They are all these things that happen in relationship with others. I mean, when Paul's talking about the Spirit and he's talking about the flesh and about how this circumcision legal thing is about the flesh, he's not really doing away with the law. He's trying to get to the heart of the law. He, he says the whole law can be summed up with a quote from Leviticus. You must love your neighbors as yourself. Jesus also said that. <laughs> so Leviticus, Jesus, and Paul, it's a pretty good one to follow. So living by the Spirit, it values other people the way you would want to be valued yourself. The golden rule. It's so basic, right? It's so basic. When we live by the Spirit, though, we are no longer concerned for our own well-being because our own needs are completely met in Christ. I think that's at the heart of what he's saying. I can think totally about others without wondering what it means for me. The only me thought I have is how would I like to be treated in her situation? 
in his shoes. And in the spirit, I'm no longer trying to build up my own spiritual account because I've been linked with Jesus's account. That's the good news that Paul is proclaiming throughout Galatians. Everything I have is received. And in the community, I'm, I'm free to humbly receive and give. And I'm not worried about anything else. So how does Paul apply this in chapter 6? He starts with the hardest place. When someone is overtaken by some sin. It's the, the words he uses in Greek are literally, literally the words of, of like a runner running a race and then another runner coming up from behind and catching them. Great for our World Vision Sunday, right? And that's what Jenny's going to be doing to other marathon runners. Yeah. Um, so that's what happens when someone's, they're trying to run in the right direction, but they're overtaken by sin. It's a merciful way of talking about it. And Paul says, you who are spiritual, in other words, those who are living by the Spirit, you're the ones to restore that person. And the word for restoration is the word for, for fixing a net or mending a broken bone. It's, it's getting them back in action in a gracious way. And how are you to do it? With gentleness. That's hard. That's hard. Because in the flesh, we want to shame and rebuke the person or use them to feel better about ourselves. So it's hard to do it in gentleness, to avoid self-oriented bitterness or self-righteous pride. Our longing, friends, in the spirit is not to keep someone from the table, but to welcome them back. Jesus gave his life for that person. And we want to boast about what he did. And it shows in them when they're restored. In the spirit, we don't care what people think about us, only what they think about the cross of Jesus. All that matters, Paul says, in other words, is the new creation. And when he's saying all that matters is the new creation, he says, don't worry about what's happened with the flesh, circumcision or uncircumcision. It's nothing. Don't worry about that. Because something new was introduced into the world when Jesus died and was resurrected. It's the new creation is the realm of the king where there's no longer any ranking except and where his people. No longer rich or poor, but rather free giving and receiving. It's total grace. That's why he talks about, you know, you should... You who receive the word should share all good things with the one who gives it. That might be talking about the guy with a microphone, but it's probably talking about all of us receiving and giving the word with one another. Although I do appreciate that you guys pay me to do this. So how do we do this? Look, I, it, this may have sounded really nice, but I've, I've just given you a bunch of law. I've just told you, so go out and love your neighbor as yourself. Just, you know you should, so do it. I've given you law. How do we do this? If you're following me, hopefully living by the Spirit sounds better than living by the flesh. Yes! yes. yes. All right. Good. You guys just are trained to yell yes when I pause, but that's okay. <laughs> but the truth is, if you're anything like me, 
Every moment of your day is tainted by self-focus. Outside of grace, I'm constantly obsessed with what other people think of me, with how I compare to others, whether people think I'm better than others. And, and frankly, you guys, I, I, every day, every week, I find a way to let myself believe that God is impressed with me, with something I've done. Or in the bad times, I let myself believe that God is utterly furious at me and thinking of cutting me off. How can I be free from the flesh and so to the spirit? Well, in Paul's letter, he gives a suggestion. And it sounds a lot like something that Jesus says. So I'll tell you both of those. And then Paul sets an example. So what's the suggestion? His first suggestion is get alone. It's kind of a strange part of the letter in chapter 6. In, in verses 3 through 5, it was, it was too much, so I didn't uh, put it onto this slide. But he, it's the part where he says, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, you know, don't compare yourself with others. Like, go ahead, carry your own load, and, you know, get alone before God. And he doesn't even say, here's what I think will happen. So I'll say it for him. Here's what I think will happen. I think when we get alone before God, we we discover how huge of a gap there is. We're not comparing ourselves to other people anymore. We're comparing ourselves to his glory and his holiness. When Paul says, if you think you're something when you're nothing, great. Go ahead, try to carry your own load. See how that goes. That's, a, that's actually an important suggestion. Get alone. Get yourself alone with God. Set, set aside how, you, how it ranks compared to other people. There's no curve you're being graded on. Each one ultimately stands alone before God. And this sounds a lot like a a suggestion of Jesus, the second thing. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us to do our righteous deeds, you know, whether it's prayer or giving or acts of service. He tells us to do these deeds in secret, to do them in secret. And this one is hard. It's way harder than it sounds to give and to pray and to have your devotions and to do acts of service in secret. But if you, if you are struggling with this, if you think you're something when you're nothing, that's code for you're struggling with the flesh, man or woman. That, so if you think you're something when you're nothing and, and you realize it, start doing things in secret and see how you squirm. Friends, I love getting caught doing good things. I I love it. It feels so good to be noticed, to be thanked for something, to be recognized for doing something. Gosh, the fastest way to expose and choke the flesh is to operate in secret, to do the best things that you do without letting anyone else know about it. Don't give anyone a chance to honor you or thank you for it. And guess what? That remaining flesh, it will wither and die on the vine. That's the, I think that's the promise of Jesus. Gosh. Uh, in in uh, Israel, Aaron and I were trying to keep up our training for, for this run. And we went out for a run. It's, we're on the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. And 18 seconds into the run my watch, which tracks my runs, froze. And I didn't want to continue. 
It's like, what does it even matter? No one will know how far I went or how fast I went. And I struggled with that for the rest of the run. I'm like running in one of the most beautiful places on the planet, a place where I can look out at water that Jesus walked on. And I'm like, stupid, watch. Because no one was going to know about it until I preached about it. Here we go. Friends, get alone, do things in secret. And what does Paul do? He boasts only in the cross. That's his example. He boasts only in the cross. I think Paul's saying, you know, he, he's writing, he's, he's been suffering, he's been in prison. He's saying, I'm not counting noses. He, he already said at the beginning of the letter, if I come back and preach a different gospel, let me be cursed. I mean, he's not trying to win popularity. This is what Jesus told his disciples after they'd had some success. You know, he, he sends them out to cast out demons and heal people, and it works. They come back and they're like, Lord, even the demons submit to us. Didn't we do great? And Jesus says, don't rejoice that demons submit to you. Rejoice only that your names are written in the book of life. Like the only thing that matters is that your standing before God has been made right. That is Paul's example. We boast only in the cross. Jesus is the one who got us in. And he didn't just get me in. He got Ed in and he got Brandon in. He got Rudy in. He got Dustin in. Women too. Sorry, I listed, I listed all men just now. It's just how it happened. Jesus is the one who got us in. We don't rejoice in any accomplishment of our own. We rejoice in the cross. And that's the key that unlocks the new creation. And that's really the way that we live in the spirit and not in the flesh. Friends, this is our weekly reminder of living in the spirit. All throughout Galatians, we've been talking about the cool table and fencing the table and all that stuff. And we have a table right here. We have Jesus' renewal of the Passover feast. But no longer are we requiring, you know, I'm not checking any, any bodies. We're no longer requiring anything to come to this table because his body was wounded for us. He went through all that was required for us to come to this table. And so when we come to this table, empty-handed, broken, not deserving it, we are boasting in the cross. That's what we're doing. So friends, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time we eat this bread or drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, we are practicing boasting in the cross together. So bring your brokenness, bring your loneliness, bring your pride and trade it right here for his work. Let's pray together.
King Jesus. Before you, we are all both lowered to almost nothing and elevated to nearly divine beings. Lord, what an amazing thing you have done that you have unleashed the new creation in us by your spirit. So Lord, let this church be a church. Let this community be a community where the fruit of the spirit is growing and we are reaping a harvest of it. As we consider ourselves less and less and value others more and more. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for us to do that, that you laid down your life for your friends. In Jesus' name, amen. So, brothers and sisters,